All right, all right. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see each of you. Uh, we are thrilled that you are with us as we are worshiping together as a church family, whether you are online with us or whether you are here in the building. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Alan. I'm the senior pastor and one of the elders here, and uh, we are just thrilled that you chose to worship with us today. If you have not had an opportunity to do so, if you are a guest, if this is one of your first times here with us, we would love to have an kind of a, a record of your attendance and also a chance to share with you more information about what's going on in the life of the church. And the way that we can do that is there is a connection card for those of you in the building, connection card right in front of you in one of the seats in front of you. You can fill that out. There are a couple of offering boxes on the back wall that you can drop that in on your way out. And I'd encourage all of you to utilize that card because there's a place on the back side as well to share prayer requests and make spiritual decisions. Let us know about things that are going on in your life so we can pray alongside of you. I do want to draw your attention to a couple of things. Hopefully when you came in the building, um, you picked up a worship guide. And on the back of the worship guide, there's a place to take notes uh, as we walk through the sermon here in a moment. Also on the inside, there are all kinds of announcements, lots of things happening. One that I want to draw your attention to is this. And I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing faces again. It's great to see y'all. We are glad that y'all are with us today. Uh, you're like, there's a lot of faces here. No, I'm saying faces I haven't seen in about a year. So I'm so happy to see you. Um, one thing else I want to draw to your attention is this. We as a church family want to make sure that we as individuals, as, as individuals and collectively that we are making a difference or an impact on our local community. And so one of the ministries that are here in town that we partner with is SOS Ministries. And SOS contacted us and some other churches this past week and said, hey, we've got some things going on this summer during the month of July where you can partner with us and you can share the gospel with kids and families that we work with. And so there are two different programs they're doing. One is a day camp, kind of like, I guess, like a backyard Bible club as far as I understand it. And the other is uh, a weekly event that they do on one night of the week. I can't remember which night it is. I think Monday nights. And they're doing that during the month of July. And we would love to partner with them. And so we have the preliminary information that was available, and we put it inside the worship guide. But we have more information now. And so David, who's our equipment pastor, has that information. He can answer all the questions. And if you are interested in hearing about this opportunity to partner with SOS during the month of July, either as an individual or a family or a hope group or collectively as a church body, I would encourage you that after the service is over with this morning, you would meet in the fellowship room, which is right behind the cafe, right out those doors, and uh, David can kind of give you some information about that event since it's coming up very soon in the month of July. All right, that's what I want to make sure I drew your attention to. I want us to go ahead and focus on God's Word this morning. We are in the book of Romans. If you've got a Bible with you, pull it out. And here's what I've been looking forward to saying for a long time. We have not had our extra Bibles in the building, and now we do. Like, they're in the room. So if you don't have a Bible with you, look around you. Under a chair near you, there's a copy of God's Word. You can pull that out and use, use it. If you don't own a Bible and you need a Bible, feel free to take that home with you. That'll be our gift to you. But we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6 in just a moment. We are walking through as a church body through the entire New Testament this year. We're, we're walking through a chapter a day, five days a week, and we are right now in the middle of the book of Romans. If you don't know where we're reading currently, all you have to do is look at the bottom of the sermon notes and it'll show you that this coming week we're reading Romans chapters 9 through 13. And then also there are reading guides available out in uh, a rack out in the hallway. And we are walking through the Bible together as a church family, and then we're looking at God's Word from that past week. And so we right now are in a series from the book of Romans called Righteousness for the Unrighteous. 
Last week we looked at Romans 3, <clears throat> and we were reminded from Romans 3 as well as the rest of the book of Romans that Paul makes it clear, Paul who wrote down the book of Romans, Paul makes it clear that all of us are subject to God's wrath. And why are we subject to God's wrath? Because he makes it clear that every single one of us is unrighteous. What does unrighteous mean? It means that we are sinners. It means that we are broken. It means that we are fallen. It means that we are not pure. It means that we have no business being around God. It means that we can't live up to the standards of perfection that God has set out for us. All of us are unrighteous, and therefore, Scripture, specifically the book of Romans, tells us that we are subject to God's wrath. Yet, here's the good news. There is righteousness for the unrighteous. Righteousness is available. If you don't mind, look with me at Romans chapter 3. I know we're going to be in 6 in a moment, but I'm looking back to last week's message real quick. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. It's in the middle of a sentence, but here's what he describes. Paul says, righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Righteousness is available for anyone who has faith or belief in Jesus Christ that Jesus is who he says he is. And Paul makes it clear that it's not about obedience to the law that makes us righteous or right with God. Working for uh, our righteousness never works. It always falls short. We are unrighteous people. Instead, Paul says, all throughout Romans and the rest of the books that he writes, that it is all about God's grace that God gives to us freely whenever we trust in Jesus that brings righteousness into our lives. And so this is kind of the standard or the starting point for where we're looking today. So I said that our righteousness is not based on us keeping the law. So what does the law, what does the commandments that are found in God's word have to do with us today? If we don't have to keep the law to be saved, if we don't have to keep the law to be righteous, then what is the law there for? And what impact does the law have on a believer's life if we're to live a life full of grace? If you don't mind, look with me at Romans chapter 6. This will be the focal point of the text. Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 15. Romans 6, verses 15 through 23. Paul is picking up the middle of the conversation where he's been talking about God's grace and how grace abounds whenever we sin and that God will forgive us of our sins if we've trusted in Jesus. And so in the middle of it... either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, we've been singing about that this morning, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your, body, your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to uh, more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, 
you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you see on the back of your worship guide, the sermon notes, the title that I've chosen for this morning's message is, Whose Slave Are You? You're like, hold up, Alan. Like, this slavery talk is not really all that exciting to me. Like, don't you know that slavery is a bad thing? Well, yes, I do. Are you saying that Paul is using this and somehow indicating that slavery is okay? By no means. Instead, Paul is simply using an analogy of something that the people would understand to make a spiritual point. In fact, if you look briefly at verse 19, the phrase that Paul says is, I am speaking in human terms. It's as if Paul's saying, I know this is like not a real perfect analogy. I know that slavery is not a good thing, but because you understand what slavery is, let me use it to prove my point. And in reality, for us to better understand what his analogy is all about, we have to consider the culture of that time. Back then in the city of Rome and kind of in the Roman Empire, estimates seem to indicate that as many as a third of the population would have been serving as slaves. It also seems to be that perhaps as many of, um, that, that about a, let, let me back up, sorry. I'm looking at my fractions and my math got, got confused. About a third of the population were currently slaves, okay? And then some of those who were free had at one time in the past been a slave as well. So the estimates seem to say that as much as a half of the audience of Paul in the, book, uh, in the church there in Rome, about a half of them either were currently slaves or had been slaves at one time. So that's kind of important fact to know. Also, typically, the slavery that is mentioned here is more along the lines of an indentured servitude. Let me explain what indentured servitude is. Basically, people would owe someone money for something that they had bought or used or whatever, and they owed money, they couldn't pay it, and so they would voluntarily, although, you know, not real voluntarily, they would voluntarily give themselves over to that person to work off their debt, okay? So I'm not saying that this slavery was a wonderful thing, it just is not the exact same thing of American slavery that we would think of in our past. And so slavery in this period of time would be, hey, I owe this person some money and I will work off my debt and then I'll be free again. So you, you may be reading this and it's saying, okay, wait a minute, it says that I'm supposed to be a slave of God. It says that I'm supposed to be slave to obedience. It says I'm supposed to be slave to righteousness. Hold up, I don't want to be slave to God. Like what kind of God is this if he wants me to be his slave or his servant? There was an early church father back in the 300s. Maybe you've heard of his name before, Chrysostom. John Chrysostom, and here's what he says about this idea of addressing slavery to God. He says, you know what? Slavery to God is better than any freedom. You see, Paul here is talking about the good news that we can be set free from the slavery to sin and that because we're set free from the slavery to sin that we should, as obedient servants of God, strive to be his slave or to serve him. Paul says that all of us are slaves to something or someone. 
In other words, every one of us are subservient to something. Think about some ways that we might demonstrate the fact that we're slaves to things. For some of us, we could be slaves to our work, where we're putting in endless hours, and it's like our job, our employer, or our thought about our job is demanding our slavish obedience to it. Some of us are slaves to our things or our stuff. Our possessions always have us. We don't own our possessions. Our possessions own us. And we're constantly thinking about the newest, latest, greatest thing that we might buy. Some of us, we are slaves to our habits. We're dominated by the habits that we have from every waking moment. For those of you that have been praying for my habit of drinking too much Dr. Pepper, I'm glad to say that I'm partially set free from that habit. That's right. Until a church member comes in and brings me Dr. Pepper, then I must give in to that habit. Others of us, perhaps we are slaves to our sensuality. Whatever feels good, do it. But as we think about slavery in the context of what Paul is going to tell us today, that we, we have two options. We can be slave of one thing or we can be slave of another. Think about all the different ways in our lives that we have one of two choices. Whenever you drive your car, you can either use your brake or you can use your accelerator. It's not really good to try to use both at the same time. You can use either your left blinker or your right blinker. You can be like the dude that was on Highway 6 this week that just drove down the road with his left blinker on. Wasn't doing a thing except for going to his right, but he had his left blinker on. Wasn't quite sure how to use that. Maybe he didn't change his blinker fluid. I don't know. Uh, or maybe when you drive, you got to stop at the green, uh, stop at the green light. Stop at the red light or go at the green light. Or if you drove a 1965 Ford pickup like I did, my windshield wipers had two speeds. It was either off or on. And reality is when it was on, it was either too fast or too slow. It was never just right. But you have options in life oftentimes between one or the other. When it comes to God, you have two choices. You may want to jot this down. Here are your two choices when it comes to God. You can either cheer for God's team, the Dallas Cowboys, or you can be in need of being made right with God. Okay, no, that's not the real one. The real one is this. According to what Paul says, we either are slaves of sin or we're slaves of righteousness. We are either slaves to sin or we are slave to righteousness. So on your sermon notes, I, I left out the first note. The first note says this, and I, I alluded to it. All of us are slaves to the one that we obey. Every single one of us are slaves to the one we obey. And we have two choices. We will either obey sin or we'll obey God. We'll either obey sin or we'll obey righteousness. We'll either obey unrighteousness or we'll obey righteousness. The choice is there before you. Which slave are you? Paul doesn't leave any room for middle ground. He says you are either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. On your sermon notes, you'll see that I kind of have two columns set up. On the left-hand side, there's a column that says slave to sin. On the right-hand side, there's a column that says slaves of righteousness. And I want us to look at the kind of competing aspect of what it means to be a slave of sin and what it means to be a slave of righteousness. And we're going to walk through the passage together. You may even want to jot down on your uh, sermon notes as we go through. The first one we find in verse 15. In verse 15, here's what Paul says. 
are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And so he describes that there are two aspects here. We can either be under the law or we can be under grace. So on the left-hand side of the column, under slaves of sin, you can put under the law there for verse 15. The word under means to be under the control of. The word under there means to be under the obligation to. And so the word under law, which is on the left-hand side of the, the column, or under grace, which is on the right-hand side of the column, either one of those, that word under means that we're under the control of this thing. So to be under the law means that we are under the weight of the law. God's word makes it clear that the purpose of the law is to let us see what God's standard is. It's to let us see what sin looks like. It's to let us see that we can't live up to that standard. And so whenever we are under the weight of the law, then we are giving in to this idea of being guilty and under God's judgment and God's wrath. You see, law leads to sin, and sin leads to death. So what does it mean to be under grace? On the right-hand column, to be a slave of righteousness means that we understand that we're now under grace. What is grace? Uh, I've heard grace described a couple of ways that have stuck with me through the years. And one is that God's grace is his unmerited favor to us. <laughs> that God gives us favor that we don't deserve, that we don't earn, that we can't get, other than the fact that God freely gives it to us. I've also heard that grace could stand for this. God's riches at Christ's expense. The way that we experience God's grace is through what Christ has done on our behalf. And so whenever we are under God's grace, it says that we're no longer under the law. So does that mean that we no longer have to obey the law? In the words of Paul, by no means is that what it means. To say that we are no longer under the law does not mean we're no longer obligated to obey God's law. It just means that we're no longer under the weight of the guilt of the sin that's associated with trying to live up to the expectations of the law in order to gain favor with God. You see, God's favor is given to us through his grace, but that does not dismiss from us the importance of seeking to live out his law, his commandments, his expectations to live up to his moral ethics that he gives to us. All too often, Christians will make the mistake of, oh, it's just a little sin, and God's already forgiven me. It's really not going to matter. And so we act as if we no longer are under the obligation to obey God's law. That could not be further from the truth. In fact, if we live that way, you know what's going to happen to us? We're going to get sucked back into that sin. We're going to get sucked back into what we think is the authority of that sin. We're going to get sucked back into that habit. We're going to get sucked back into that old lifestyle. We're going to get sucked back to living in the flesh. Paul does not mean when he says that we're not under the law, that we're no longer obligated to obey God's word. It just means that we are saved through grace that then propels us to live out the truth of God's word. Here's what a theologian by the name of F.F. Bruce says about it. To make being under grace an excuse for sinning is actually a sign that one isn't really under grace at all. If I think that I'm under grace and therefore I can sin all the more, it's a pretty good indicator that I really don't understand what it means to be under grace. So the first thing we see on this column is that we're either under the law or we're under grace. Now let's look at the second thing. On the left-hand side of the column in verse 16, you can put 
sin and death. If we're slaves of sin, then we're subject to sin and death. Look at 16. It says, you are slaves, at the end of 16, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or on the right-hand column you can put, of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So on the left-hand side, slaves of sin, sin and death. On the right-hand side, slaves of righteousness, obedience and righteousness. Let's look at the left side of the column for a moment. To be under sin and death means that whenever we are slaves of sin, whenever we are giving in to sin, whenever we haven't experienced God's grace, then we are headed towards death. Now, this death most definitely means physical death, but more importantly, it means spiritual death. So whenever I'm a slave to sin, then all I'm experiencing in life is death. The death of relationships, the death of dreams, the death of, of, of uh, meaning and purpose in life. Death to relationships. Whenever we are slaves to sin, it leads to death. Now let's look on the right-hand side of the column. It leads to obedience and righteousness. See, whenever you and I are set free from sin, as I said just a moment ago, we are still called to live a life of obedience to God's word. And God calls us to follow his will and plan for our lives. Whenever we are slaves to righteousness, it means that we now are giving ourselves wholly to God rather than giving ourselves to sin. What does it mean? What does righteousness mean? If we're slaves to righteousness, what does righteousness mean? Here's a way that I like to think of it. Righteousness is behavior that's consistent with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Are you living your life, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, are you living in a life in a way that's consistent with who God has made you through the forgiveness of your sins? Is your life identified by sin or is your life identified by righteousness? See, all too often, I think we make righteousness just a spiritual word, which it is. Like, whenever I trust in Jesus to forgive me of my sins, I am positionally made righteous. My sins have been forgiven. But it's got to go deeper than just a spiritual, positional relationship that righteousness also carries with it a truth that we are changed in our everyday living. If I'm positionally righteous, then my life begins to reflect that righteousness as I'm obeying God's word. So again, we can either choose on the left-hand side to be slaves to sin, or we can choose to be slaves to righteousness. Let's look at the third point. This is going to be in verse 17. Let's look at verse 17. It says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So on the left-hand side, I know I sound like a broken record, but I want you to put underneath there, slaves of sin. If we are slaves of sin, we are, again, slaves of sin. It's a person who gives into sin, and that is a confirmation that sin has control over a person's life. Whenever we have not experienced God's grace, all we can experience is a broken, sinful life. Conversely, on the right-hand side of the column, you can put this, obedient from the heart. You see, a true Christian never lives as a slave to sin. Rather, a Christian allows their hearts 
uh, let me back up. A Christian's heart has been transformed by God's grace. Our heart is kind of our center of being, and whenever we've been exposed to God's grace, then that heart has been transformed by God's grace to reflect who he is instead of brokenness of sin. Also there in verse 17, you see that our heart has been uh, changed to the standard of teaching. What is meant by standard of teaching? Standard of teaching is not just an outline of scripture. It's not just an outline of Christian doctrine. It's not just an outline of right belief. It, it involves all of those things, but rather a standard of teaching carries with it within the Greek a kind of an impress a, or a molding of our conduct so that our conduct is shaped, transformed, and molded into um, into a new standard of living. In other words, I want us to see that discipleship, we talk about here at our church that we want to be a place where we understand what it means to be a disciple, make disciples, be the church to the glory of God. To be a disciple means much more than understanding content. Rather, it's an understanding of who Jesus is, absorbing the content of God's word and his commandment, and then therefore being transformed by how we live our lives, that we now are obedient from the heart. There's this sense of slavery to Christ is not just simply a decision. Rather, slavery to Christ is a commitment of our lives to live in such a way that we're going to live by his standards and from his teachings. So I would ask you to pause for just a moment. As you look at your life, is your life identified by sin? Or is your life identified by committing yourself to the standards that Christ sets for us in his word? Here's another comparison of the two columns on the left hand side this is going to be verse 19 you can put this you you either present yourself to impurity and lawlessness on the left hand side present yourself to impurity and lawlessness or on the right hand side you present yourself to righteousness and sanctification let's look at verse 19 in verse 19 here it says for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. This word, present, is important for us to see. As I read the commentaries this week, it pointed out that there's kind of this presentation principle. And the presentation principle applies to slavery in that time period and therefore is used to apply to this spiritual application of what it means to be a slave to righteousness. In those days, you would present yourself as a slave to the person you come before. In other words, I mentioned earlier that this slavery was more along the lines of indentured servitude. So if I owed money to the Smith family, I would present myself to the Smith family and now I'm indebted to them and I am their servant or their slave. If I owed money to the Jones family, then I would move over here and I would present myself to the Joneses. And so what Paul is saying is you choose who you're going to present yourself to. Are you going to present yourself to impurity and lawlessness? Or are you going to present yourself to righteousness? And sanctification. On the left hand side, slaves to sin present themselves constantly to a life full of ungodly behavior 
sinfulness, brokenness, and filth. He says that they present themselves to lawlessness. It's a complete disregard to what God's word says and a complete sense of disobedience to God's word. So whenever you consider God's word, what impact does it have on your life? Is it, oh, that's kind of a good teaching. Oh, that's kind of a nice thing to read. Oh, it gives me kind of a warm fuzzy on the inside. No, the reality is we have to choose one or the other, either a disregard to obedience to God's word or if we're a slave of righteousness, if we're under God's grace, then a desire to obey God's word. The one on the left is a total unrighteous life. The one on the right the one who presents themselves to righteousness and sanctification means I understand that my righteousness is not based on anything that I have done. It's completely what Christ has done on my behalf. But because he has forgiven me of my sin, now I present myself to him willingly, saying I am yours to serve you, to obey you, and to follow your command. If you were to go back and look at the Greek in verse 19, when it says that we're to present our members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification, this is an exhortation, this is an imperative, this is a command, this is what we must do. So my question is, who are you presenting yourself to? Are you presenting yourself to sin? Are you presenting yourself to God's righteousness? We're commanded to live a life of total obligation, commitment, and accountability to God. And this commitment is not out of duty, but rather this commitment is out of love and thankfulness for God's grace that has forgiven us. In other words, I don't obey God so that he'll forgive me. I obey God because he has forgiven me. I don't obey God because I'm the slave to sin and under the law, rather I obey God because I'm a slave to his righteousness and grateful for the forgiveness that he gives to me that comes under and through his grace. Let's talk for a moment about this word sanctification. Do you know what the word sanctification means? The word sanctification basically means to become holy or to become like God or to live more closely to the standards that God sets out for us. It's this idea that we are to live lives set apart for the purpose of God. Need I say to you that this is not the popular thing to do in culture today. In culture, the idea is, no, if it feels good, do it. If you enjoy it, do it. Why would I, why would I submit myself to God when I can submit myself to my own worldly pleasures? But Paul says that our lives should reflect becoming more and more and more like Christ so that we are in the process of sanctification. Our salvation is not just a one-time thing. Rather, our salvation comes by the first time that we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and we have been made justified. We have been justified by Christ's payment on our behalf and our salvation begins, but our salvation continues through the journey of life as we're seeking to become more and more and more like Jesus. This is the sanctification process. So is your life reflecting God's holiness or is your life reflecting the sinful, broken, dark part of this world? I'd encourage you, the only way that you and I are going to live a life that it reflects God's righteousness is if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. See, we can't do it on our own. It's the work of God in our lives that 
allow us to live more like Jesus. I wanted to read this uh, passage of Scripture. Perhaps you're familiar with it. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, 1 uses the same word about presenting. This, this whole principle is the fact that we're either going to present ourselves to, sell, uh, to, to impurity and lawlessness on the left-hand side, or we're going to present ourselves to righteousness and sanctification. And, and it reflects what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Are you presenting your bodies, are you presenting everything about you to God in order for it to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? I need to keep going. We're still comparing the two columns, and now we're kind of at the conclusion. There's three more little aspects that we walk through. And on the left-hand side, these three aspects are going to point to the curses of slavery to sin. Whereas on the right-hand side, we're going to see what the benefits are of an obedient slavery to Christ. That transition is found in, in verse 20. In verse 20, it says, or actually, uh, let's see. I'm going to look at the right verse here. It says, but now somewhere. Where does it say that? Extra points. Uh, for somebody that finds it. 22. That's that. Who won that prize? Raise your hand if you get that prize. Oh, Tim, I thought it was your voice. Tim, I'll give you a prize at Hope Group this week. Verse 22. But now. What Paul is saying is that your life has been changed. You're no longer on the left-hand column. He's writing this to believers in Jesus Christ. You're no longer on the left-hand side. You're on the right-hand side. Let's consider the but now aspect, the benefits of an obedient life, of a life lived out in slavery to righteousness. But we also have to consider the negative side. So let's look at the left-hand side. Verse 20. In verse 20, it says that when we are slaves of sin, we are free in regard to righteousness. It doesn't mean that we're free to not live righteously. It just means that we're free from actually caring about righteousness. So on the left-hand side, free in regard to righteousness. Without Jesus, every single person is totally void of righteousness. There's no exceptions. There may be some who try to live self-righteous lives, but the reality is if we're slaves to sin, there is not a single aspect of righteousness to us because sin makes us imperfect. But on the right-hand side, the good news is found in verse 22, the one that Tim pointed me to. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, I want us to see that we are set free free from sin we are set free from sin when you've trusted in jesus as your savior you're set free from sin sin no longer has dominion in your life it no longer has control over you we're no longer slaves to sin the stranglehold that sin once had over us is now gone and we are now under god's grace i want to clarify this does not mean that you're going to live a perfect life from here on out all of us are still subject to living in the flesh at times However, sin no longer has control over you. Allow the Holy Spirit to have his reign and his rule in your life and experience the freedom that comes from being set free from sin. Now, another little bullet point is found in verse 21. Down in verse 21, it says this. But what fruit were you getting at that time when you were slaves to sin? 
from the things of which you are now ashamed. And so on the left-hand column, you can put this. The fruit of a life that is impacted by slavery to sin is a fruit that you end up being ashamed with. Fruit which you are ashamed of. When we're under the control of sin, we end up being ashamed of the things that we end up doing. Whenever we are living in sin, there's that usual momentary aspect of, oh my goodness, that wasn't good. And yet, when we're under dominion of sin, we go out and continue to live that way anyway. It's like Groundhog Day, over and over and over again, because sin has control over you when you're on the left side of the column. But the good news is that whenever you've trusted in Jesus, there's better fruit. Look down in verse 22. On the right-hand side of the column, you can put fruit which leads to sanctification. The end of verse 22 says that the fruit that comes from being a slave to righteousness leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're obedient to God's word, if you're under God's grace by what Jesus has done on your behalf, then you experience the opposite fruit from those on the left-hand side column. This is a fruit of sanctification and holiness where we're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Even in our sanctification, remember, even in our righteousness, remember that we are still obligated to live out the truth of God's word. God calls us to obey his word. God calls us to a sanctified life. We're not trying to earn God's love, but we obey him because we love him. You see, now sanctification is fruit of our salvation, not works of our salvation. And the last bullet point on this is a verse that you're probably familiar with and maybe you've memorized, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. On the left-hand side, you can put this. Wages is death. On the right-hand side, you can put the flip side, which is free gift is eternal life. If you watch the news much, you know there's a lot of talk right now about what a fair wage is, right? There's this idea of, oh, maybe we should raise minimum wage because we're not paying good enough and it needs to be higher. And there's this whole conversation of we need to pay a fair wage. I believe we should pay a fair wage. I'm not saying we should or shouldn't raise a minimum wage. I'm just saying, yeah, I think we should pay, pay a fair wage. The interesting thing on the left-hand side of the column is this. Even though we're interested in fair wages, even though we want good wages, the result of our sin is a fair wage. We all deserve death, but it's definitely not an enjoyable one. What is the result of our sin? What is the wage for our sin? The wage for our sin has a horrible payoff, and yet we keep working for sin. The horrible payoff for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. If you knew your job paid you with your death, would you keep working there? And yet the brokenness of man causes us, whenever we are under sin's control, to keep working for a wage that's just the most ridiculous wage out there, death. But the good news is this. The slave master, God, the one that we live for, 
once we're under his grace. We don't get paid what we deserve. Rather, we're giving a free gift, and that gift is eternal life. He gives us what we can't earn. He gives us grace. I found this quote in a commentary this week. It says this, Once we have received this grace of eternal life in Jesus Christ, we should be willing to crawl over broken glass to honor and praise him for that grace. See, there's a mistake that a lot of Christians make that think that eternal life begins when we die. It's like, okay, I've been forgiven my sins. Whenever I die, I'm going to heaven, and that's when eternal life begins. No, the reality is eternal life begins in the here and now. There's freedom in Christ. There's joy in obeying Christ. There's, there's, there's goodness there. I'm going to ask them to put on the screen a small print, but it's a chart that I found in a commentary this week. It's similar to the chart that I just uh, spelled out for you. And we see the two columns on the left and the right-hand side whenever we realize that we are slaves to the one we obey. We're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness of God. My question for you as you consider the things I've shared with you, as you perhaps look at what's on the screen, at the bottom of your sermon notes is the most important question, and that is which master are you surfing? Are you serving sin? If so, I want you to know there's good news because forgiveness is available. You can move from column left to column right. You can move from sin and brokenness and death and unrighteousness to the right-hand side of the column, which brings life and purpose and freedom and grace and righteousness of Jesus. If you already find yourself on the right-hand side of the column, my question for you is, are you living out this life of sanctification that Paul talks about? See, there's two choices. We're either going to be slave to sin or we're going to be slave to righteousness. But the sad reality is all too often Christians who are actually slaves to righteousness are living lives as if we are somehow drifting back to the left-hand side. We're caught in it repetition of sin that's not freedom freedom is not found in doing whatever you want freedom is found in submitting your life and your will and your purpose to Jesus Christ has there been a time in your life where you've seen that you're a sinner that you're unrighteous that you are broken that you are hopeless that you can't earn your way to God has there been a time in your life where you've acknowledged that you need to turn in repentance to God, seek his forgiveness, accept his free grace that's offered to you through what Jesus did on the cross, through his burial, through his resurrection? This morning could be the day that you trust in Jesus as your Savior. And if you have already, stop drifting to the left column Live in the freedom that's found in Christ. Not a freedom from obeying God, but instead a freedom to obey God. There's no middle ground. Either you're enslaved to the master of sin, or you're captivated by the master of righteousness. What is your choice today?
Here's some possible next steps you could take. One, I would encourage you to choose your master wisely today. Would you say yes to Jesus? Some of you need to say yes to Jesus. Some of you need to say yes to baptism. We're, we'll be having a baptism coming up in a few weeks, and perhaps you've never trusted in Jesus and you want to be baptized, or maybe you have trusted in Jesus, you haven't followed up with baptism. Maybe baptism is what God's leading you to do. Another next step would be to begin to live out this righteous life. And one way that I think we can do that, the best way we can live out a righteous life, is to do it in accountability. And what I mean by that is, do you, do you have other Christians that are around you that encourage you to live out a righteous lifestyle and that will call you on the carpet whenever you begin to drift to the left? Here at our church, we have lots of opportunities for that. It could be somebody in your hope group. It could be somebody in your D group. It could be somebody in your Bible study. But get people in your life that hold you accountable to a righteous, sanctified life. And then I think also, this is another next step that all of us need to take. If you trust in Jesus as your Savior, will you go out and point others to the life that's offered in Jesus Christ? To wake them up from their death. The Holy Spirit does the work, but you'll call attention to the life you're leading is leading to death. You need to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. I don't know what God's saying to you this morning, but I would encourage you to say yes to him. So in just a moment, we'll be singing some songs together as a church family. And as, I, as we do that, I would encourage you to pray there at your seat or pray here at the altar or come visit with me or jot down on your connection card the spiritual next step that you're needing to take. But the choice is yours. Will you, be the, will you be under the control of the master of sin or will you be under the control of the master Jesus Christ? Let me pray for us. God, we uh, ask that you would have your way this morning here. That, Father, we would trust you, that we would see that in you comes freedom and joy and meaning and purpose. That in you comes grace and forgiveness that to choose to live a life that's going the opposite direction from you is not life it's actually death gotta pray that today you would help people see their need for salvation in Jesus alone I pray that today you would help people see that they may be returning to sin over and over and over again, caught up in a cycle of sin, and that they need to say yes to a life of sanctification and obedience. Father, I pray that you'd convict us today with our need to share your love with those in our lives. Father, I pray that you would take these next few moments and that you would use them to have your will done and that we would say yes to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?